This B-Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, my flex learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Okay, uh, so here we are. We're doing these uh, this episode and a couple others uh, at NASTEC PPI conference in Oklahoma City. So Fred, tell us a little bit, uh, remind our listeners what NASTEC is. And Absolutely. It's, it's actually a real treat. Jethro to introduce you to this community that's yeah, been, been fun, been so important to the work that, that I've done over the last five or six years. So we are at a conference called the Professional Practices Institute, which is run by NASDAQ, which is the National Association of State Directors of Teacher Education and Certification. They are responsible for providing training to the licensing people and the education training people around the country. PPI is specifically focused on investigators and state attorneys. You'll hear from many of them over the next few episodes. All right. Taylor, do you want to start and tell us a little bit about yourself, background, what you want to share on the podcast? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Taylor Pipkin. I'm the staff attorney at Palmetto State Teachers Association. Um, My degree is from the University of South Carolina in early childhood education, and I was not cut out to teach. I could not deal with going to lunch at 9 a.m. and kids throwing up every day. So um, I decided to go to law school. And so my degree is from the University of South Carolina School of Law. And then I ended up at Palmetto State Teachers Association and able to use both my degrees, which is pretty unique um, for someone in my position. And, and now you eat lunch at a normal time. Yes, usually actually a lot later, no. But yes, yes. And no throwing up, usually. Yeah. And did you want to stay in education? That really wasn't the goal. I went to USC, well, mostly because I'm a Gamecock, but they also have a children's law center. And so I just wanted to be involved with children in some way. Um, and the job, I clerked for a judge prior to taking this job. And a job in Columbia opened up. It was with a teacher's association. I thought, this could be cool. So here we are, almost six years later. Oh, cool. Very good. Excellent. Craig, tell us a little bit about your background and, and where what you do now. Sure. Uh, thank you for having us on this podcast. Uh, my name is Craig King. I'm originally from Manning, South Carolina, attended school at South Carolina State University, go Bulldogs, where I received my undergrad degree in elementary education. 
um, and my master's degree in rehabilitation counseling a couple of years later. And I taught third grade for seven years in Orangeburg, actually did my student teaching in the same class, my, my seven years of teaching in the same class where I did my student teaching. Room 61, uh, which on one side you can look out and, and see the playground, which is pretty cool. On some days, on some days, the kids yes. like sleep outside, but we just came inside. But, you know, but I uh, joined PSD in 2011 as Director of Governmental Affairs. So I have a lobbying background. And uh, for the past two years, I've been Director of Teacher Leadership. So absolutely love teaching, love education. I'm now empowering teachers, not just through ethics, but through professional learning opportunities now. Yeah. And Fantastic. do you happen to have a podcast? I do shameless plug for my podcast, Conversations with Craig and Kobe. And we also have a jingle that I'll sing right now. Do, 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 Conversations with Craig and Kobe. Well, you hear that at the beginning and at the end of every That's beautiful. That makes you our second musical guest and we're grateful for it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> so I want to, yesterday we're here at NASDAQ and yesterday, or at PPI, by NASDAQ. Just part of NASDAQ. Yeah, yeah, just want to make sure I get that right. So you talked about the good cop, bad cop approach you take in teaching ethics. So I want to just hear a little bit about that, what you want to share, and how you how you teach ethics in a way that people actually care about it. Craig, do you want to introduce that since that's your lingo? Yeah, yeah, because it's it's almost representative of how we start our our talk with when we talk to teachers. So. You know, the good cop came from me actually being a teacher and me learning about ethical considerations, which came in a very practical way from my mother, who the summer before I started teaching in uh, August of 2004, she sat me at her kitchen table and she said, Craig, these are some of the things that you need to consider and watch out for when you start teaching. And none of what she shared had anything to do with pedagogy, instructional strategies, content, things that I learned uh, while receiving my undergrad degree at SC State. And I said, mom, those things aren't going to happen. People are going to go to school and teach because teachers are, right, good-hearted people. And these things aren't going to happen. First week of school. They all happen. What are the things that she shared with me happen? And, um, and I was, and I shared, I shared in, you know, our presentations. And so, you know, Fast forward to 2011 when I joined PSDA, I said, hey, male teachers need to know about these practical situations. And so I started the Male Teacher Institute at PSDA. It was only for male teachers. And so it was great. It was very practical. It didn't have any statute or legal, you know, things tied to it, but it was very practical, things they need to watch out for. And fast forward, we hired this amazing attorney. You may have met her at some point today or in the past couple of days. She's sitting to my right, if you're not sure who she is. <laughs> Taylor Pipkin, and she said, hey, Craig, you know, the teaching profession is mostly women, right? And so, you know, we made it the ethical educator, which includes both men and women, things that they need to consider. And so the good cop came from, you know, me being the teacher, me being the fun guy, not the attorney, not saying attorneys are mean people or bad people at all or not fun or not fun because Taylor is <laughs> really fun. As you'll see in this podcast, she's really fun. And so the, the good cop kind of can't play it off third grade teacher, fun guy, practical situations. Hey, let's laugh a little bit. And then bad cop. Well, I'll let Taylor talk now. <laughs> I probably didn't build her up 
as much as I should have. Sorry, Taylor. Well, I can I can lay this out for Taylor because I think that's a really fascinating issue that you're addressing this this concept of maleness in the education profession. And I think the changing social environment that educators find themselves in. And actually, Taylor, the lead in for this is, you know, we are starting to see more and more women get flagged for the kinds of offenses that we traditionally associated with men. So what's that about and how are you addressing it? Yeah, absolutely. And I just like for the podcast, we're sharing a mic, so I didn't get to chime in and defend myself. Greg. Um, <laughs> That's on us. Just, just want to share that. Yeah. So really, you know, when I came in and I saw Craig's presentation and I thought it was phenomenal, um, but there is a piece, a legal piece to it that we do have the South Carolina standards of conduct for educators. Um, and I felt that it was important to share that. And the majority of the calls I get are from women. And I mean, they, they can get in trouble too. And so it's about just educating everyone out there and being proactive. Um, and we try to make it fun. And so that's kind of where the good cop, bad cop, because Craig's, Craig's the fun one. And I'm the, I'm the Debbie Downer, the negative Nancy. So it tries to build me up and, and make me act like I'm a lot, you know, more awesome and everything because he knows he's going to make me share all the, all the statutes and the not fun stuff. But yeah, we, I mean, we've seen a lot of women getting in trouble for those issues as well. And would you care to comment on the impact of technology and how that's fueling the problem in many ways? Oh, man. Um, we get so many, so many social media calls, um, whether it's, you know, relationships or it's just posting things online. You know, whether it's using Instagram or Facebook as a platform or messaging, um, you know, creating group text messages and sending things out to other staff members. Um, I mean, we see we see it all the time. And we preach it all the time in our presentations and we see the eye rolls and we see the, well, that wouldn't happen to me or I'm not going to do that. I'm in the the younger crowd you can see, and I'm not throwing any shade to the younger um, teachers by any stretch, but a lot of times they kind of look at us like we're a little crazy because we're telling them, hey, don't, you know, be friends with these kids on social media. Don't, you know, be careful about parents too. Um, Don't give them your cell phone number. Don't add them on social media and they're just kind of like okay sure we won't do that and then we get a call (laughs) not from them but Hmm. that relates to it well and the other one obviously is is keeping your kind of expressive dances off of tiktok it's amazing to me how many people are willing to do you know dances that really only belong in a bar on a social media platform (laughs) That is very true. I just recently got a TikTok. I don't dance, so don't don't go try to find my TikTok. There's a story with that. It was not dance, but she should. Not on TikTok. I don't. Okay, I guess we need to go there. Real yeah, quick. hold on a second. In our presentation, so fans of the office, I'm sure. So let's get ethical. Ethical. We play that at the beginning of our presentation. And I'm over there doing this. I'm dancing, not TikTok dancing, but just fun dancing. Yeah. <laughs> and Taylor just stands there and looks at me like I'm crazy. And looks uncomfortable. I guess. <laughs> and I'm comfortable. <laughs> I guess that's not the good cop, I guess. I don't know. We're just playing. I'm just trying to play the role. Yeah. I'm assign this bad cop role. So I'm just, you know, embracing it. But it makes for a good conversation. It sets up our banter. Um, and I did have one group that voted. Craig always makes them vote on whether or not I should dance. And I had one group that said, no, she should do whatever she wants. Those are my people. They're probably all future attorneys. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. 
So uh, one of the things that most of the people we've talked to here have been investigators or on the finding out who's doing bad stuff side. You, however, are representing the teachers association. Do you, so you have a very different approach to this and what are some of the things that you notice and, and look for and what is your role and how is it different than somebody who's investigating, for example? So I think, um, well, one common ground that we all have that I think a lot of times gets missed is that the investigators, they're not bad people. They're not out to get teachers. They're trying to protect children. And that's what we're trying to do. But a lot of times when they receive, so when I get a call from the investigator, they've only gotten one side of the story. And so it's our job and our role to see what really happened, um, to get the side from our teacher, to get the information we may need to turn it over so we can we can work out something. Um, so for a good example, and this wasn't actually um, a state department level, but there was an instance where some text messages were involved and something was being alleged about a teacher. And we had to disclose all of these text messages that kind of gave the backstory and some more context. Um, they got some other people in trouble as well. But we had to look out for our person and our teacher and say, you know, hey, the reason the teacher was in this situation was because of this culture and climate that had been created. Um, and this teacher shouldn't be put in this position. You know, a lot of times, and when the media gets hold of stuff, that always, always makes things more challenging. And we've noticed <laughs> that, you know, teachers end up in the media way more than anyone else. Well, and, and getting back to the gender split, I think that this is one of the things that you might be particularly sensitive to is that headline writers love female teachers getting into trouble. And it seems to me that that's something we really have to outgrow at some point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I will say in South Carolina, I, I feel like we have more female teachers that do make the headlines. I don't know if y'all saw, there was once past week in South Carolina that one of my friends in Texas sent me a message and said, hey, isn't this in your neck of the woods? Said, certainly yeah. it. Not, not a situation we're dealing with, but it was all over. I think it might've even made people.com at some point. What was the, uh, what were the general facts? I'm trying to. Um, so the teacher, um, in the second grade class, there were edibles found in the prize box. That was us, <laughs> not us. That <laughs> was not that's, our town. I was, no. that's right. I was talking to someone here at the conference about that yesterday. And I guess the only reason it got discovered was that one of the kids was having trouble opening his package and he went to an educationalist. <laughs> wow. In those situations like that, you can't really blame on the culture of the, of the school. Most likely somebody either did that intentionally or made a mistake. It's not up to us to judge right now, but those are the kinds of things that, you know, Fred talks about a lot of things that people do that there could be some legal repercussions there. There could not be, depending on the situation, but that's certainly one embarrassing and two, uh, not good for the public relations aspect. And so uh, I want to talk a little bit more about the male versus female piece, because there, there are things that, that males get faced with more. And Craig, can you just talk a little bit about what your male educator Institute or whatever it was called, started out talking about? Absolutely. So, uh, one of the scenarios that you know, my mom shared with me was just a fact that I was going to have, um, either coworkers or parents or just colleagues, you know, in my school, the school district that expressed interest in me. I was just, I was naive recently. I was like, no mom, you know, that's not going to happen. But 
you know, teachers spend a majority of the time at work and it's naturally, it's natural to feel attraction to, you know, people you work with sometimes. And so it's like, you know, how do we address some of those situations? And ironically, one of my good friends, he was a first year teacher. And one of the case studies I started talking about, and we still use to this day, you know, he was a high school math teacher. Uh, he still is because he handled the situation the right way. Uh, he still is a math teacher and a parent said that I am in the shower right now. What can I do so my child can pass this class? <laughs> Called him, got his cell phone number somehow. He didn't give it out, but somehow she managed to get it. And so how do you respond to that situation? And so he immediately hung up on the, on the parent, called his principal because his pr principals will tell you this in some way or form, or form or fashion. I don't want to be blindsided. I want to have my teachers back in some way that they'll, they'll share that with the good leaders and the good teachers, uh, principals share that. So he called late that night after he got the call and the situation was able to be taken care of because one thing he did was he kept immaculate records, like where he reached out to the parent, gave the child multiple times to do her work and things like that. So we shared those the situations like that, interactions with students, you know, non-instructional routines that you need to employ as a teacher that are for your benefit. For example, you know, in my classroom, I had a non-routine with green construction paper. I built that up good. Now you're like construction paper. What does that even I mean? Ethics. <laughs> Where is he going with this? Sounds like a band name. Yeah. <laughs> well, we like to do band. Green construction paper. But what that meant. So if a student went to my neighboring teacher, Miss uh, Dr. Johnson or Miss Ekwazu, or um, the the nurse, Nurse Fogel, or uh, one of the the guidance counselor, if they received the green construct piece of construction paper. That was indication that the child had on something inappropriate. Uh, I never addressed it one-on-one -on -one with the, with the student. But a low key approach, you know, it's, it, it reminds me of some of the signals that people will post in bars. Like if you're having trouble with your date, do X, Y, or Z. Absolutely. And it's, it's a nonverbal way of communicating a message. That's great. Yeah. So, you know, the non-instructional routines, um, Taylor likes to share one that, um, she, she had things she got from a high school teacher that a lot of us grew up in. I grew up where I'm a hugger, like touchy feely type. And, and you know, being teachers, sometimes you have to mask that a little bit in situations. Dial it back. A lot of female teachers now, they love dresses with pockets. My wife loves dresses with pockets. It's like a thing. Like you have a. I think yeah. I've heard this rant. Yeah. So. Yes. So, plug for all the guys out there for your special lady friend. <laughs> or your wife, girlfriend, dresses with pockets. Game now game. we're a relationship podcast. I love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we have arrived. <laughs> we, that's the podcast that we're supposed to start, right? Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, so that was a technique that a lot of uh, teachers would use. In, so they walk around the classroom with their hands in their pocket instead of that natural reach out and touch someone. Which at the end of the day, sometimes teachers don't have that malice in their heart. To, that, for that to mean anything other than I'm here to support you. And we're in a space now where we have to have that consideration. We have to consider that risk. But one of the issues that pops up all the time in the research that I do is the intent not matching the way it's received. And so sometimes, and this app actually goes both ways with educators and with students, that if someone is feeling vulnerable, they may interpret a gesture like that in a different way. And so you run into a situation where 
that vulnerability creates further conversations or, or further relationship issues. And then you've got a bigger problem. Yeah, that, that definitely happens. So, um, I want to close up here, but question I want to ask both of you, what is it that we need to do to support and help teachers not make these kind of bad decisions in the future? So I'll start, I mean, as a shameless plug, I think our training is pretty helpful in that, but I don't think it can stop there. I mean, I think teachers need to go through or be trained on decision-making. And we've learned a lot about that, you know, already this week, but to assess the risk, it's not just a, okay, you can do this, you can't do this. And that's the end of the conversation. It needs to be learning how to think through those situations that come to your door, learning how to navigate the gray, learning how to deal with that. And we've been kind of struggling with how to keep that with, you know, how to bring that to teachers. Um, so it's not just a training they have to check because we really want them to engage. And so we've been trying to think of some ways that we can help, you know, bring that to teachers. But I think it just has to be a constant kind of drive to get to that point where they realize that these situations, things aren't like they used to be. Um, and even the veteran teachers, things aren't like they were 20 years ago in the classroom. Things are different. And so we have to figure out a way to reach all of those teachers and help them realize that all of these situations could present risks and how to handle that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll finish with this. This is all about having those conversations. And I think the ethical educator, the way we present it, being very proactive and, you know, speaking with pre-service teachers and induction programs, having it in a way, and I think it's, it's what's appealing to the school districts to keep inviting us is because we present it in a way that's totally different from the way they probably present it. Because we've been in our trainings where the person there will be engaging and the people will be responding to us and they'll just jump in and say, oh yeah, and don't do this, don't do that. Uh -huh. But they don't respond to that type of message, but they're responding to the way in which we're presenting it because it's the good cop, bad cop, the banter, we're laughing, we're engaging. Right. sharing scenarios because people love to hear stories about other people. Mm -hmm. Well, and the narrative piece is huge, Absolutely. Right? We're really. telling a story like, like I shared yesterday in our opening session, we set it up like a comedic bit. We knew <laughs> like when I start off with the story about sitting on mom's kitchen table, drinking lemonade in the summer of 2004, at the end, I circle back to that. Like the great comedians know how to do that, right? I'm not saying we're comedians by any stretch of the imagination, but comedians are great storytellers. And so when I think about it, it's almost like we're telling the story um, when we're doing our presentation and they can relate to that. Yeah, that actually is really how I've tried to structure the Cybertraps work that I've done because if you can really introduce people to a narrative, it just sticks a lot better. And also there's a little bit of displacement. Like people can learn the lesson without necessarily feeling threatened because there are characters that they can put the lesson on. And it's, it, it, it just, that little bit of distance makes the absorption much, much better. Mm -hmm. This is not like you're going to screw up and do this, but someone we know did. 
Yeah. More. <laughs> Tell me more about their dirty deeds. You're always fascinated. All of our orders are posted actually on our State Department website. So a lot of them don't know that. So when I mention that, they're like, oh, we're going to go look at that when we get off here and read about it. I'm like, please do. Uh, you know, see, see what they're doing. Yeah. That, and that's why we post them so that people can learn from them, right? Not to shame people or make them feel like they are never going to get over it, but to say, here's a situation where you could get into trouble and... Here's someone who did, which is important. Yeah, well, thank you both for being here. This is great talking to you both. And is is there any way you want people to reach out to you if they have questions or follow up? Sure. You can reach us. My email is Craig King at palmettoteachers.org. Our website is palmettoteachers.org. Um, so you can reach out to us that way. Yeah. Thank cool. you for having us. It's, it's fun. It's been a real pleasure. Guys, yeah, good thank, guest. You. thank you. Thank you. I would like to wrap up then this episode of the Cyber Traps podcast. In the coming weeks, we will continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, privacy, education, and the challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to our growing collection of international experts who are helping us to understand the risks and the rewards of digital technology. You can find the Cybertraps podcast in all your favorite apps. We hope that you'll share the show with your friends and reach out to us if you have a topic or guest suggestion. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones and Fred is at Cybertraps. If you're still listening, you must have loved this episode. And if that's the case, please leave us a five-star rating in your podcast player. And we thank you for being here and we'll see you on our next live show on Monday. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals. That's IXL.com B-E.